Well, tonight we're starting as we're here for this uh, duration of this trip and we're doing these uh, sessions here, Bible sessions, which we call seashore sessions. And uh, we put together the little booklet for you and you can follow along. You don't have to or whatever. It, there's nothing to fill out. What we used to do years ago was we, um, I would just talk and people said, oh, give us notes and stuff that we can write stuff down. So we started doing that. And then people started saying, can we have a copy of what you said? So that's what we're doing now. So you've got basically the rough copy of what I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, it's not, you're gonna, <laughs> those of you who know me well, I don't follow a script very closely. Um, but you can see on the very first page what we're doing on the different sessions that we have. And like tonight, you can see we have this, uh, the titled one here, World Philosophies Trashing the, the Bible and God. And then we're going to talk about tomorrow, the crucifixion of Jesus, a pivotal moment in history. Uh, part one, the crucifixion of Jesus. And then Easter morning, instead of doing it in the evening, we will evening, uh, have our session here in the morning. And that's the pivotal moment in history, part two. And that's the resurrection. Um, Monday, we go back into the evening for the rest of the week then. And we'll be talking about the Jews returning to Israel. It's going to be talking about some of the current stuff that's been going on in Jerusalem and in Israel. And I'm going to bring you up on speed on some of that stuff because it is talked about in the Bible. And then we'll talk about supporting evidence. Uh, those of you who know, I do a lot of speaking and traveling all over. Um, both in this country and others. And one thing that I, I talk about a lot and I've written two books on is biblical archaeology and how it supports the Bible. And we just got back, uh, Charlotte and I just got back from doing a trip to uh, Israel again in uh, January. We did a trip. And so um, I'm going to talk about some archaeological things that, uh, again, point that the Bible is true. That's on that one. But I want to draw your attention and this is why I'm going through this lengthy little talk here as an intro. Um, the last night, um, I want to talk about uh, the last night we're going to have a session because we're still here for a couple of days yet. But the last night we'll have a session. I want to talk about um, or give it to you. It's an answer question series. So if you look at the back of your uh, handout thing that you've got, you've got a page that looks like uh, this that says, you know, uh, question answer night. So throughout the week or whenever, it doesn't have to be during these sessions or anytime you wake up in the middle of the night, this question pops in your mind, write it down. Also, we're gonna give you three by five cards. My wife, uh, I told her to buy a few. She went to the dollar store, got 15,000 of them and uh, for a dollar. <laughs> and how many? But yeah, I don't know how, I was expecting, because they used to come in these little packets, maybe about a half an inch thick. This thing's like gigantic and it's huge and so, I was like, you guys are going to have a lot of cards to write a lot of questions if you want. And then you could submit those or whatever to me, too. And I can um, I'll try and answer what I can that night as we do this, because I'm sure you will have questions as we go through if you don't already. But that's what that is. And we'll hand those out to you here. Um, I don't know where one will exactly get you the three by fives, but we got them. Uh, we did find those. So uh, we do have those on the trip. So tonight, what I want to talk to you about is, as I said, world philosophies trashing 
of the Bible and God. And I don't know, do you guys ever, I, I don't do this too often. I don't do it as much as my wife does. You ever watch the news? I don't mean the local news right there. I mean, do you ever watch like national news or anything like that? I do to a point. And then I get so depressed. <laughs> I turn it on, like I turn on Dick Van Dyke or something, you know, I got to laugh. I got to have something, some little thing here. Because watching the news is, it can be the most depressing thing. And it's just like, man, I can't listen to this. And uh, if you listen to the news, it can be the most depressing thing. Because I think most people would agree with me on this, that what's going on in the world today doesn't sound really good. And some teens are really worked up about this, in particular in college students, like, will I even have a future? Is the world even going to make it? Because it is so screwed up, everything that's going on. Now, that's interesting. And particularly, I find it interesting that non-Christians, in particularly have this kind of worry because according to a lot of, a lot of what philosophers, non-Christian philosophers and stuff have said about the world and about society and stuff like this is basically that it's supposed to be getting better, that we're making advancements all the time. There's actually a term for this. If you studied sociology, it's called social Darwinism. As this morning we were talking about in our session, Darwinian evolution is organisms evolving through these mutations that are so beneficial over billions of years. And they, we keep getting more complex and more, um, uh, more developed and higher advanced organisms. Really, does the human body seem like it's doing that? Um, this, this body doesn't. But anyway, as that kind of thing goes on, well, social Darwinism is saying the same thing. It's like cultures were very pagan and stuff, but as time goes on, they are Cultures are evolving into a better society. We're coming closer to a utopia and stuff. That's social Darwinism. And that is something that's been around for a, a long time. And uh, even in the 20th century, um, that sort of fueled, in a way, the Ar Aryan uh, race theory with, with uh, Adolf Hitler, that you know they were superior people to everybody else. And so we get into this. And there's been other nations that have used the excuse that, well, we need to wipe these people out because they're a lower culture. They're a lower society than what we are. We're more advanced. We should take over because it's survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest we use is a term that is biologists frequently use in deferring to uh, natural selection and, and Darwinian evolution. So they're sort of related in a way, uh, not just by title. But let's go back. Let's go all the way back as far as we can in recorded time. And so who's there? Well, it's God. If there is a God, which I do believe there is, and if he created everything out of nothing, I mean, there's a, a whole philosophical problem right there. If there is no God, where did everything come from? Like, for instance, if I had um, a beaker sitting out here, something like this, and I would say, now, uh, let's have somebody here create uh, some type of brand new life form and just make it appear out of nothing. I can't even do that because the beaker has air in it. There's something already in there. So in the beginning, there had to be, at some point, there had to be a beginning. And I mean, even non-Christian scientists will agree that at one time, you've know, you heard of all the Big Bang, that at one point, everything just exploded outward. And according to that theory, it's supposed to be slowing down, but we do know from scientific theories, the universe is expanding more rapidly. It's increasing in speed, which is strange because they would expect the explosion to start slowing down. Instead, it's still accelerating. That's 
That's bizarre. But anyway, that's what's going on. So let's go back, though, to what God says in his word. And I believe that the Bible is the true word of God. I believe God, um, his Holy Spirit, told uh, these uh, things for these people to write down. And um, it's God-inspired like that. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, there's a good starting point, Genesis 1. And in verse 27, we can skip through the days of creation at this point. Let's just get to verse 27. And it reads, and this is out of the English Standard Version, which is a word-for-word translation of the most ancient manuscripts. And so we read, so God created man. Okay, just stop there. That right there is an amazing statement. God created man. Out of what? Nothing. Going back to the Hebrew meaning here, it's actually being made out of, God is doing this creation out of nothing. Now, some people will say, well, that's scientifically impossible. Yeah, for us to do that today, when was the last time you saw something just spontaneously be made out of nothing? It doesn't happen. But God is not bound by the laws of science, as he is creating in the creation account. The laws of science don't even exist because he is creating things beyond the laws of science. After he is done creating, that's when the laws of science actually start working. So some people will say, well, you can't have, um, the earth has to be billions of years old because if you go out tonight and you look at the stars, they're light years away. Well, as you see, it take, we know the speed of light and speed of light for that thing to get here from that star means it has to take millions and millions of years to do this. What you're doing, you are putting God in a limited box. You're saying that God was bound by the speed of light, that he put that star so many far, so far away, so many light years away, and that that light had to get here on its own natural time. That is not what God is doing. The laws of science don't exist yet. So God, when he puts the stars there, miraculously in some way, I mean, the big thing is, about the, not the speed of light, how did he create the stars out of nothing? And he creates this stuff. He creates all the creation out of nothing. He has the light being here. Is it really that difficult for us to try to comprehend that God could have the speed of light be faster than it is today? Is that really that difficult for God? I don't think so. I think that's sort of an insult to God. God, you're bound by the laws of science. No, Jesus himself was beyond the laws of science. He was constantly doing miracles. And you say, well, only Christians say that. No, I can show you a whole lot of Roman uh, historians, non-Christians and Jewish historians that actually wrote about miracles that Jesus did. There was one historian whose name was Celsius who wrote about Jesus doing certain things like even rising from the dead. These aren't Christians writing this. These are non-Christians writing that Jesus performed amazing signs. And so it's, it's just not Christians doing this. These things happen. And so Jesus healing people, raising people from the dead, that's against the laws of science too. But God, you got to understand, is not bound by the laws of science. There's where we run into a problem. We have a tendency of limiting God's power. We're saying, oh God, you're almighty and stuff, but do we really believe it? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. There you go. So that's how we got here. That's how people got here. God created male and female. And so we have man created. He's put us in a garden. He's put us into this beautiful utopia. What was the creation like? What did God create and put his jewel of his creation, man, 
which he honored even more than the angels that he created. He honored man even more. It was the closest thing. It's made in his own image. What did he put them in? And we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. He put them in, as we commonly call, the Garden of Eden. Now, where was it? We don't know. Because there's been a flood that has changed all of the natural world that we see today. Everything has been changed. We don't know uh, exactly where it is. Orthodox Jews believe the Garden of uh, Eden was in where Jerusalem sits today. Well, we don't know. We don't know. Um, We just know that there was, before the flood, there was a place that was absolutely perfection. And he says it was very good. Now, if you go back to the Hebrew that this is written in, it's just not good. Like today we say something, ooh, um, tacos tonight, that was good. No, that's not what the phrase is. Here it's talking about that's perfect. And I'm sorry, hon, the tacos were not perfect. They were funny, apparently. They were funny. (laughs) Well, if you have a hard taco shell, she didn't have those, but at least if you put it up to your face, it's like a smile, you know, so I don't know if that fits into that. But anyway, it was good. God says everything was perfect. So what was it like? It was a world at this point that had no errors. There's no evil. There is no disease. There's no mutations. There's no lust. There's no anger. There's no pride. There's no greed. There's no wickedness. There's no sin, no iniquity at all. It was absolute perfection. Some people have the mindset of heaven when we go into the future and we die and we go to that type of utopia setting. And that's how the book of Revelation ends. God starts off in the book of Genesis, absolutely creating a perfect world where there is no problems whatsoever. You get to the end of the book of the Bible, you get the Revelation, you go to the last couple of chapters, and you see we're back into that, where we were created to be. So what is the rest of the Bible about? Well, in chapter 3, there's where all the problem comes. Sin entered the world. Um, Paul He wrote about this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He says, sin came into the world through one man. Okay, that's Adam, of course. And if you think, well, Adam, we can't have all come from one one person, one man. Oh, yes, we have. Matter of fact, science has proved that. Non-Christian science has proved that. Um, Matter of fact, National Geographic has even done a special on that by tracing the Y chromosome. And looking at the Y chromosome, you can trace the genetics of of every single person all the way back to one single male. Also, they found out in the latter 1990s that all female or all everybody on this planet, too, also came from one female. They did that by studying mitochondrial DNA. National Geographic, which is not a Christian organization, has even said this. They call her mitochondrial Eve. Uh, The people who gave her that title are not Christians. They sort of did it in sort of like a half humorous statement, but they had to call her something, so they call her mitochondrial E. You can look her up and stuff like this. I mean, they've got all sorts of weird, bizarre things about it, but we all came from one female, one male. We did. There's no question about it. So um, that happens. And when sin entered the world, well, what happened when sin entered the world? Well, look what Paul continued to write. Sin came into the world through one man. That's in chapter 3 of Genesis, so here's where everything gets messed up through one man, and what happens with this? Death through sin. Death now enters the world. Do you realize there was no death until Adam sinned? That's what God is telling us. 
perfect world, no sin. Adam brings sin into the world. We all are the result of being born after this. We're all uh, members of this. And the thing is, what do we have? We have death. We die. Death entered. At that point, not just man changed, all of creation changed. Paul even goes into saying that in the book of Romans. All of creation is moaning and groaning for its redemption. Not just people, the whole world. We have animal, prey, uh, predator, prey relationships now. We have disease now. All of this stuff came in. Mutations, alteration of DNA and stuff. That all happened as a result of Genesis chapter 3 with people sinning. That's what happened. So what, what's the result of this? When sin entered the world? Well, just look at the mess we got. I'm going to read you out of Romans chapter 1, verse, verses 29 through 31. This is made out of the God's Word translation. Um, it's a word-for-word translation pretty much, but it, it, it makes it, it's written on a lower reading level, so it's really easy to understand. So here is what God is telling us. As a result of the sin, this is what his creation, what man has done to his creation. And because they thought it was worthless to acknowledge God, he's talking about us. Uh, about all men. God allowed their own immoral, immortal, um, I'm sorry, immoral minds to control them. We have immoral minds today. There's not a whole lot of people walking around really holy. So they do these indecent things. I mean, just think of the news broadcast and what's going on. Indecent things. They live their lives with all kinds of sexual sins, wickedness, greed, they're mean. <laughs> There's mean people. We had one here today, this morning. <laughs> mean people. They're filled with envy, murder, quarreling, deceit, viciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, haughty, arrogant, boastful. They think of new ways to be cruel. They don't even obey their parents. Don't have any sense. They don't keep their promises. They don't show love to their own families or mercies to others. Now tell me, has the Bible hit this right? Isn't that a great description of what's going on today? And God is saying, yeah, this is what's going on. And what did it? Was Adam's sin back in Genesis 3. That's how this whole thing started. So I think it sounds very familiar, and I think the Bible is extremely accurate here on what's going on. But some people deny this. They say, no, 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 no. Um, I don't believe what the Bible says and stuff. Um, matter of fact, I know people, as I have studied at universities and stuff and sat through philosophy classes and things, I have come across and had to study different philosophers and various supposedly intelligent people with many doctorates and stuff, who they say that evil, some of them have actually, they will say, evil doesn't exist. I know Kara is a very educated person too. Um, you, you have sat in classes where I'm sure you've heard some professors saying that evil does not exist. Obviously, they don't watch the news channels I do. But that's what they say. They go back to this whole thing about social Darwinism, survival of the fittest. They say that man is not evil in his nature. Really? That man is not evil in his nature? They say that culture is what makes man evil. It's the evil culture is doing it. Well, where did that culture come? How did, how did the evil come into the culture? They, they keep running into problems with this philosophy. They even say man is good. Matter of fact, one very famous one, his name was Maslow, says, I can't see anything that would persuade me to think that man is not good. Really? Are you watching the news? Well, he's dead today, but anyway. 
They say that the Bible is a myth. Say you can't take the Bible literally. You can't say that it's truth. Um, They say that, uh, like uh, Carl Sagan, the great uh, late great astronomer, um, he said that we are nothing more than star stuff. That we're the results of an exploding star that somehow even uses the word miraculously formed life, but he doesn't believe in God. And we're just, actually we're good beings. We're really good beings. We don't have evil really incarnate inside of us and stuff, really. What I've got here is I've given you a list of some of these philosophers. If you go to university, I I know, Ryan, you're in university now and stuff like that. And as you go through, those of you who have been through colleges and stuff, and when you go through, you will come across these names. These are very important people, um, and it's often called the humanist view. Um, Non-biblical, this is what people say. Um, who don't believe in a Bible, this is the excuse a lot of times that they come up with. Let me, I'm going to give you quotes. These are quoted from these people. Clarence Darrow. I don't know if anybody here has ever heard of Clarence Darrow. He was one of the most intelligent people. He was a lawyer. Um, you can see I've given you the lifespans of where these people were. So in the early 1900s, this guy was the top of the game. And Clarence Darrow said something everybody in the world listened. He said, the purpose of man is like the purpose of a polywog. To wiggle along as far as he can without dying or to hang on to life until death takes him, unquote. What's your purpose in life? According, according to Darrow, you don't have a purpose in life. The only thing you've got is just to squiggle out your life as best you can like some little slimy bug until it just ends. And when you're dead, you're dead. And this is what the world is telling us. Paul Kurtz, you can see he didn't die that very, uh, very long ago. He's the father of humanism. Um, he stated a couple of quotes here, and I've got for you. He said, man is a product of evolution. He's talking about Darwinian evolution. One species among others in a universe without purpose. Without purpose. You guys just got done singing a song about if angels were created to worship God, you will too. You notice that that is a purpose? When I used to teach school... On Fridays, many times, I would have only teach a half a period. And then we would just sit back on the latter half of the period and we would just talk. Let my students ask any questions whatsoever. We would just talk. And I, I told them there um, one, one year, the first day of class, I told them, this is what we're going to do in my class. On Fridays, we're going to try as much as possible. I'm going to give you half the day. We're only going to work half the day. Then we're just going to sit and talk. And you can ask me anything um, and we'll just sit and talk. And I remember this one kid saying, Actually, it was this kid named Mr. Diffusion I was telling you about earlier. It was him, because I never will forget this moment. He was sort of a jokester in a way. He says, so we can ask you anything on a Friday? And I said, yes. It just so happened that this first day of school was a half day of school. The first day was on a Friday. And he said, today's Friday. I said, well, by golly, you're right. He says, can we ask you a question today? And I said, well, we've gone through the syllabus. We've got a few minutes. Go ahead. And he says, so I can ask you anything. I said, yeah, I might not be able to answer, but I'll answer it. And he goes, okay, what's the purpose of life? And of course, he chuckled and everybody else in the room chuckled. And I said, wow, I thought you were going to ask me something hard. I said, that's a simple one. And he stopped laughing and he says, what do you mean it's simple? I said, purpose of life? That's really simple. We're created beings, created in the, in the image of God. Our purpose is to worship God and to serve him. That's your purpose in life. 
It's not what car you buy. It's not what kind of house you buy. It's not kind of what occupation, what university or anything. That's not your purpose. Your purpose, the reason you exist is to worship God and to serve him. That is your purpose. And if you can find that as your number one goal, everything else pretty much falls into place. He, I'll never forget. Everybody just sat there with their mouths open wide. And the bell rang, and that was the end of that class. Kurtz goes on. He says, using science and logical analysis, man now recognizes that the universe has no special human being or purpose, and that man is not a special product of creation. He's just totally throwing this in the face of God. We're not a part of creation. We're just something that happened by an accident in science. Dr. William Proving, he just died a few years ago. Very famous man, wrote many books, went around the world talking and stuff. And he said, there is no God. No foundation of ethics. In other words, there's no reason to have any rules. There's no free will. No life after death. When you are dead, you are dead. There is no ultimate meaning of life. Really? That goes contrary to what the Bible says. How about Abraham Maslow? If you go into education or anything, study psychology, you will study Maslow. The American educational system is based on Maslow's philosophies and stuff, but in the public school system. He said, as far as I know, we don't have any intrinsic instincts for evil. A person should follow their heart, be the best you can be. Have you ever heard that slogan before? That was first coined by Maslow. Some manufacturers came up, hey, that's a good slogan for us, and they put it in their commercials, be all you can be. That's right out of Maslow. But yeah, there's, there's um, no... No evil. He says, I don't understand how people think that there's evil in the world. What newspaper is this guy reading? What television shows for news is he listening to? Gee. Carl Rogers, here's another one. He died not that long ago. Experience is, for me, the highest authority. The touchstone of validity is my own experience. In other words, I live for me. Neither the Bible nor the prophets, neither Freud, famous psychologist in the 1800s, nor research, neither the revelations of God nor man can take precedence over my own direct experience. In other words, I am basically my own God. I don't need anybody to tell me how to live my life. I can live my life the way I want. I'll just do what feels good for me. That's what's his philosophy. Richard Dawkins, very famous Darwinian evolutionist. Um, there is... Uh, something infantile in the presumption that everybody else has a responsibility to give your life meaning and point. The truly adult view, by contrast, is that our life is as meaningful, as full, and as wonderful as we choose to make it. In other words, don't go to the Bible for your answers. If it feels good, you do it. That will make you happy. There's your purpose in life. All the stuff that you read about the Bible, no, that's not it. Friedrich Nietzsche, very famous guy, coined a phrase back um, in the 1800s, God is dead. Man has killed God. We don't need God anymore. There is no God. He says faith means wanting to know, not wanting to know what is true. Robert Ingersoll, I love this one. This guy, <laughs> he actually went around speaking against the Bible frequently. And one of his speeches that he wrote is he held up a Bible and he held it up and he said, in 15 years, I will have this book in the morgue. He was going to get rid of the Bible. 
said in 15 years, there will not be a Bible anywhere except in a museum. 15 years later, Ingersoll was dead in the morgue. The ironic part of this, when Ingersoll died, his estate was put up for auction. His desk was bought by a pastor who wrote his sermons on it for Sunday. I just find that funny. Uh, Voltaire, very famous philosopher back around the time of the American Revolution, he says, it took 12 men to start Christianity. One, referring to himself, will destroy it. He says, I'm going to destroy Christianity. It's my life goal. Uh, I think he failed. Still have the Bibles around. People are still Christians today. Matter of fact, there's another funny part to that story. When he died, his house was sold, and it was bought by a Bible society for storing Bibles in. True story. George Carlin, this guy just recently died. Um, Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. I always thought that was funny. Something is definitely wrong. This is not good. If this is the best, his description, if that's the best that God can do, I'm not impressed with God. Results like these do not belong on some resume of a supreme being. Religion is the main cause of war. He's, he's blaming God for everything that went wrong. That's not what God created. What did God create in those first two gen- books of Genesis? Perfection. Man comes in, messes it up, brings in sin, brings in death, disease, all these things that he just described. That's the result of man. But God had a plan to fix it. We'll talk about that later on this week as we, we get into this thing. So, I mean, there are many, many others I could quote. We could stand here all doing this uh, for hours. Um, but uh, they, a lot of these, actually all these people I read here, they all denied that Jesus ever was resurrected. Some of them even denied that Jesus actually was a historical person. Uh, they say that the Bible is a book of myths and fairy tales. So according to these people who don't believe in Jesus as their Savior, according to them that I just read you, the world is becoming a better place. Really? Do you think the world is becoming a better place? I don't think so. Like I say, I get depressed listening to the news. Uh, It's not. But that's what this whole thing is, survival of the fittest. And and as as evolution and stuff goes on, as I mentioned this morning, we're supposed to be getting better and better and more superior beings and stuff like that. Really? Is that the way it appears? Do you know, a hundred years ago, children hardly ever had cancer. You didn't find cancer a lot of times, or even 200 years ago. Children did not have cancer. One thing that tears at my heart, still does every single time, I've told Denise this sometimes, of all the things I ever watch commercials on TV, the thing that absolutely gut-wrenches me is commercials for St. Jude Hospital. How they have doctors and nurses treating children with cancers and stuff, and that they don't charge families for this. They run by donations, people giving donations for it for $15 a month, you know, and then they'll send you a t-shirt or something like that, that you have helped. That kind of thing just kills me. Watching these kids, they have all these kids with cancers and they're sitting here talking, you know, begging for help and stuff. And I'm like, oh God, please help these people. Does, today we, we have, I know many people and I've had students that had cancer and died. 
a long time ago, that didn't happen. Why? As time is going on, our DNA is becoming more and more fouled up and we're getting more mutations. And as I mentioned before, you know, mutations like a lot of mutations cause cancer. We're seeing this because as time goes on, we're having more mutations pop up and being uh, passed on. But when God created everything, he gave everybody perfect DNA. He gave Adam and Eve perfect DNA, no flaws. And so for a long time, there is no mutations. No wonder people live so long in those Old Testament days. There was hardly any disease. They had perfect DNA. But as time goes on, DNA started to mutate and time goes on. Finally, we get to the time of Moses and you don't see people living. Even after long after Noah, the, the lifespan of people gets shorter. And then when you get to Moses, God says, no longer can families, uh, brothers and sisters, marry in your family. That was a popular thing back in those days. Uh, Egyptian pharaohs always married off their uh, their children, brothers and sisters, they would to keep the bloodline pure. Well, that causes mutations, and we start seeing some things forming like that. So as time has gone on, we're getting more and more problems with our DNA. That's what's going on. And this is what humanists say. They say that, oh, no, everything's getting better. Everything's getting better. You know, uh, it's, <laughs> we get rid of this mythical God, they say, in the Bible, and just let the world run. It's going to get become better and better and better. Oh, my gosh. Really? That is so, so crazy. And as I wrote in here, uh, for many people say that the world's problems come from Bible-believing dimwits. Because I heard that, somebody say that the other day, and I had to throw it in there. That's what the problem is? You think the Christians are the problems? Uh, my, Christian, or my comment then is, on what planet are these people living? They think everything's getting better. No, the problem is not with God, folks, or what God created. The problem is what man has done to his creation. There's the problem. He made it perfect. We screwed it up. Um, we've added the death, the disease, the hatred, the pestilence, and the mayhem. We have caused all that. Just turn on the news. You don't believe me. No, back when he created everything, there was no predator-prey relationship. There was no disease. There was nothing wrong. It was perfect. But we, dis, we disregarded what God said. We chose not to listen to him. And he warned us and we went ahead and did it our way. And we brought all this into the world ourselves. We're the blame. Man is good. There's no evil in man. Really? Go take a walk on the south side of Chicago. Romans 5.12, sin came into the world through one person. Death came through sin. So death spread to everybody because everybody is sin. Paul is telling us how it got so messed up. God is telling us how it got messed up. But here's the cool thing. In Genesis 2, everything's still perfect. Genesis 3, the problem happens, but God has a plan to fix it all. And that's what we celebrate sort of this weekend all about, how God planned to fix it, that he would have Christ come, die for us, be resurrected to prove that he is God. And when we accept him, when we put our trust and our faith in him, he, uh, and we become Christians, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us and it changes us. We go through a metamorphosis as we continue our life. And now you grow closer to God as goes on, time goes on. Hopefully, as time goes on after that moment, you sin less and less each year because you're trying to walk with a holy God and you have the power inside of you through the Holy Spirit to do it. So that's what's going on. 
Because as he said, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me just end with this. None of this caught God off guard. God's Holy Spirit told Paul to write down what's going to happen in the last days of the last days. And I know you've all heard talks and stuff on the end times coming and it's getting closer. Do you know that God actually gives a description of what it's going to be like living in this right beforehand? It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is right before Paul goes to be beheaded. He writes this letter to uh, his, um, his, one of his closest friends, Timothy, telling him what the last days are going to be like. Listen and tell me if this is not accurate, more accurate than what the world's humanists are saying, if this is not accurate. It reads, you must understand this. In the last days, there will be violent periods of time. People will be selfish and love money. They will brag be arrogant, use abusive language. They will curse their parents, show no gratitude, have no respect for what is holy, and lack normal affection for their families. They will refuse to make peace with anyone. They will be slanderous, uh, lack self-control, be brutal, and have no love for what is good. They will be traitors. They will be reckless and conceited. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will appear to have a godly life, but they will not let his power change them. And he goes on to say, Timothy, stay away from such people. Now, ask me, answer my question here. Does God have the description of what life is like here as we're in our days today? Or did the humanists give you the accurate answer? I think, I think Paul nailed it. I think God has described to me what I just read here is exactly, just turn on the news, this is what you read, what's going on today. I think that's the perfect answer for it. Now, here's the question I have for you to th- make you think. Let me ask you this. Which of these two worldviews, the humanist worldview, which is very popular today, or the biblical worldview, which is not that popular today, which one's more accurate? Which one? The atheistic, humanistic view or the biblical worldview? Now, what we're going to do each night or in the morning when we do these two, I have a couple of discussion questions. I'm going to pray. Um, we'll make a couple of any announcements that need to be made. And then I'm going to let you guys go off to, with your teachers to the groups. And you can sit and talk about these. Or even if you have some other questions, pop them up and do that. Or if you have questions you want to ask me, write them in the back. And on uh, whatever night that was, um, I don't know what night, Wednesday night or something like that, I'll try and answer your questions. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time and we thank you for uh, the beautiful scenery we have behind. I know it's hard to listen to what I'm saying when you got that, what you've painted in the background all around. But Lord, I pray that your spirit just works upon each person here. And I pray that people will just take a moment sometime tonight and self-reflect on which view is accurate? Is it your view or is it the humanist view? And if it is your view, what does that mean to them in the way that they live their life? So we thank you for this. Thank you for the safety you gave us today also. Give us all a good night's rest in Jesus' name. Amen.